Hello, and welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast, a podcast that explores L&D that works with those who are making it work. In this episode, I'm speaking with Josh Novell, VP of People Experience and Insights at HSBC. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us, and thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Josh, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Uh, so, Josh, you're a fairly well-known and very well-respected L&D leader, but to help the listener understand your journey, could you give us a, a summary of your L&D career to date? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, it goes probably right the way back in terms of working in L&D roles before I even knew L&D was a thing. So I was actually kind of, my background actually is welding. So that's where I started off sort of burning my knuckles and things like that. So came through that sort of world and eventually ended up in a kind of coaching mentoring relationship piece for a load of engineers so figuring out how management wanted quantity whereas engineers wanted quality so started playing a bit of a middleman some days a bit of a referee some days a bit of a coach Um, and then kind of progressed through my career moved up to London from the southeast uh, got involved in things like property project management and things like that but large scale retailers and that's where I got my first taste of a big formal L&D role with actually Carphone Warehouse back in the day. So mm. doing all of their kind of product training and all the administration behind their digital learning in the background, all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, in the years since then, been on the external side of the market. So a couple of suppliers, um, also been in-house, the likes like your Deloitte, your BP, mm. um, recently Warner Music Group. Um, and then my recent gig, well, I say recent now, it's been like eight, nine months now. So it's actually with HSBC heading up their uh, people experience and insights function for their services piece. Brilliant. Thanks, Josh. And uh, we'll get into uh, some of the details uh, in that and some of the certainly some of the uh, the nitty gritty, I'm sure, in our conversation. Um, but I, I perhaps it's a good place to start off would be uh, to ask um, what you'd say have been the keys to your success. As you said, you know, you you know, this is your, your, your VP of uh, um uh, of people experience and insights at, uh, at HSBC, just so to, uh, to to add a title to this now. And previous to that, you were senior director. Was it of L&D at, uh, at, at Warner Music Group? So it's, it started off as an L&D role, then it moved into kind of an overarching talent technology piece. And then at the end of the day, it evolved into what I kind of taught, like started talk, calling people experience at the end of the day, where it kind of, it sits across everything from, involvement conversations with facilities on how the offices look and function and uh, a digital assistant piece that we had going on there as well as things like more traditional HR technology L&D and talent technology stacks as well so Mm. kind of all of that is a bit of a mishmash all together there yeah and and, and just to say you know these these are very senior roles in uh, uh, in in our profession so I'd love to know um, what would you say have been the keys to your success and progression to senior leadership in our profession I mean, I think it for me, I always like to kind of bake things down to basics. So mm. there's there's a few little kind of snippets I'll say to people. Like number one for me, my network, the people I know, people like yourself, people like like Laurie and Amanda and John Hinchcliffe mm. and stuff like that, all of that sort of stuff. Like they're really good connections that I ping ideas to and say, Am I am I speaking nonsense here? And sometimes they say <laughs> yes, sometimes they say no. So first and foremost, like that network piece is a is a hugely, hugely crucial piece for me. Um and then secondly, just kind of baking things back to basics at the end of the day we we all work for companies where 
rightly or wrongly, their agenda is to try and stay alive and try and make some money and do things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so it's just, well, what are you doing to help that at the end of the day? And that I think a lot of the time we can get lost in our own grandeur, our own mm-hmm. philosophy sometimes and sort of saying, actually, just take a step back. What is this doing for the organization? And if it's yeah. not doing what we think it is, let's park it, let's move on to the next thing that we think might do something. So just trying to keep things super clean, super easy and super basic, really. Mm. I, I'm, I'm sure you're underplaying it uh, a little there, Josh, <laughs> if uh, if not just trying to keep it at a very high level. But look, I do I do concur uh, greatly. Um, I mentioned uh, many a time on this podcast that uh, that, that I spent uh, eight years at Disney. Uh, I, I was promoted six times in three years, uh, which was uh, uh, which was good going. Uh, my, my boss, um, as I as I was promoted uh um to director he was vp of hr for emir and when i pointed out i said oh that's that's, that's really good i'm really pleased with how things are progressing you know this third promotion in six years he looked at me no word of a lie dead serious and said wow we need to take a look at our promotion criteria and you know we go all right i'm going to take that as a compliment because <laughs> because i like I, I knew how things work but but what you just said there josh was there was the crux of it which was I knew how to be successful. Uh, people will have this preconception of, of what, what Disney might be like. And I'm sure you you had the same, both both HSBC perhaps um, uh, and, and banking in one direction, but but certainly Warner Music in in another. But but when you when you get down to it, these are successful businesses for a reason because you've got really smart people who are really focused, they know how to get the right stuff done, and they hold themselves and their teams accountable for the for actual results and doing things the right way. But generally you trust if you do things the right way, then then you will get those results. And that's what I latched onto that there is that, that there is a critical path. And and regardless of of which department you're talking to, if you can cut through to their critical path, which is how do they make money? Right. Yeah. Uh, what's their service level agreement here what what is critical for this business to actually be seen or this func- job function to be seen to be doing the right thing and sometimes you meet uh, leaders and you go oh dear, i don't know how you're getting away with this and then you'll meet <laughs> others where you where, where you're there and you're thinking right i i need i need to be my at my sharpest right now yeah, they've got the balance sheet out straight away and they're saying where yeah. are you <laughs> exactly <laughs> i think it's, it's really interesting what you're saying Obviously, we both worked in incredibly large organizations. So mm. I think probably Disney, HSBC, they're probably two of the largest employers in the world, if not in the top 50 somewhere. Yeah. I reckon. Um, and just looking around and sort of saying, well, actually, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And to your point, how is this adding value to the organization? Mm. Or for me, also the other side of the coin, is this just the the protection piece? So for me, it's like, is it? Is it boosting revenue or is it defending revenue? Because there's an awful lot of stuff that happens in the L&D world to bake it back into that, where we do it like, let's talk about like our standard compliance training and things like that. We know that that's not really improving revenue at the end of the day, but that's defending revenue. And that's yeah. a really crucial piece as well, because you can create new revenue streams and boost revenue streams all day. But if, if they're dying a death six months later, then that's not really how a business works. They want that streaming model now. They mm. want that continuous income. And that's what everyone's striving for. And have you have you always thought like that, Josh? You say you you know you 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 come from 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 welding and you found yourself in in the profession as it is. But but I mean, a lot of learning and development people who don't think you know as as uh, as logically as linearly as you do on um, 
what you are in the organization to do. I, you know, you could say perhaps critically that in learning and development, we we might be perceived as softer. And dare I say, sometimes act softer, thinking that our role is um, it, it's almost benevolent, you know, in, in trying to grow people. And I think that, that that can be seen, it can be largely a distraction because people are in work to work and progress and improve their prospects. And we are in organizations to help those people to get better at the work, to uh, to become more proficient and then improve their prospects for the benefit of the organization. And you've got kind of a virtuous cycle. If you overcomplicate it by thinking, yeah, but but who are you? Like, you know, we with we, we the whole, you know, the, the holistic development as a priority over perhaps performance and productivity. I wonder whether we we miss the point of it. How do you see? I, I completely hear what you're saying with that. And it's it's a really interesting point. And for me, that's kind of an evolution I think has happened in my thinking in the last three to four years of mm. that for me is what's taken it from me describing myself as a as an L and D professional into a people experience professional because mm. now there's all sorts of bits and pieces from efficiencies to productivities to automations to all these sort of things I, I get involved with. And learning is just one of the strings of how we can address a business problem once we've identified it. And that's where it's kind of thinking across everything we do, because I'm, I'm sure you've seen it as well. The amount of times you've been in an organization, they're like, well, we need to train people to use yep. this thing better or understand this concept better. And you just kind of go, or is that just a comms piece? Or is that just this system isn't user friendly enough or intuitive enough or all of these things? So that's where it's like, I'm actually saying, look, we need to look across all of our all of our kind of tools and technologies, irregardless of, well, is that the comms function? Is that the marketing function? Is that the finance functions? I kind of am sitting in that position where I don't really care who's who's offering I'm playing on, mm. as long as I've got a way where I'm saying, look, I'm going to do something with this, in, and i got a hypothesis that this will do it, and sit back and say, is it doing it? And if not, retire it very quickly. Don't Don't be afraid to call your own baby ugly at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I, I completely hear you. Um, we've we've touched on the topic, if not addressed it uh, head on already, about uh, about solving real problems, about actual business impact, or as as we've discussed many a time on here, be, being performance oriented, which means, um, you know, you might be asked for training, or you might spot something, but it but it's all about what is it that people are expected to do that they're not able to do easily or effectively, and how do you get from the, the connect the shortest distance between not knowing to doing you know so it's all about the work um and perhaps the word learning gets in the way you know that's a, I'd love, maybe that's a, a side point here but i'd love to know that around this this the focus on impact and performance um is that is that something that you've just done and implemented regardless or and this might seem like a silly question josh but i think it's a reason why people don't at all is it because you were invited a seat at the table <laughs> and they, that you were able to or did you just go this this is what i i know this is what i need to do i mean i th i think it's a little bit of kind of my natural character and things like that like i like having a very kind of close connected thing so for me before you do something make a hypothesis what do you think it's going to do and if you don't have the the data pieces or the indicators of what it's going to do whether they be qualitative quantitative etc like information is out there that you can kind of say like is this thing bad yes okay great and that's that's what i would say 99 percent of our stakeholders are operating on when they they come knocking on our door saying i want a thing 
yeah. rather than just kind of going, oh, yes, let me show you the latest, greatest tools, technologies, like VR, AR things that we've got. We just kind of say, how did you know this was a problem? Yeah. Like, let's go back to the source because then you and I can look at this thing together and you and I can succeed together by kind of going going through it. Mm. So I think that there's a little bit of me of kind of naturally I want to sit there at the end of the year having that kind of pat on my back thing of I can actually see the movement, like yeah. quantify the movement. It's obviously made progressing through seniority in organizations quite easy. But mm. an interesting piece you mentioned there is the the seat at the table. And I've, I've had this conversation in, in the learning and then talent in the HR world for years. And it's um, I hear it time and time again from many, many departments. It's like we just we just don't feel we've got a seat at the table. Mm. And I always find that quite quite funny especially my other half she works in the very kind of legal and compliance world so mm. you, you think i'm a black and white guy like everything in her world is even more black and white and it's governed by someone else down the road type thing um but for me it's been fascinating kind of getting to really think about what is that table that we we kind mm. of keep referring to and in most organizations it's the c-suite is the top table it's yeah. it's that sort of thing and i kind of go well why would you be there first of all why would you yeah. want to be there how could like to be at a table like that or in, on a, in a conversation like that you need to bring value to that table and that could be just an alternative perspective that could be many many things but for me as well it comes down to a crucial thing is well what's the language of the table yeah and when you think about it with that way you let's go let's go around the table it's like a ceo what what's what's their kind of primary measure mm. it's value to the stakeholders the shareholders or maybe even themselves if they're they're a privately run company and things like that. So it's just break it down to what it is. It's the financials. Yeah. You've got you've got the CFO. Well, that one's a bit of a giveaway because it's in the bloody job title. It's mm -hmm. the financials. So it's it's the uh, the actual kind of those pieces there. And a lot of kind of COOs, they're very operational. So they come into that that other half of the string of how can we defend what we've got? What's what's the best equipment? What's the best facilities? What's the best mm -hmm. this? What's the best that? But it's the balancing act there. Then you've got marketing. Marketing's all about how do we bring new customers in? So it's about promotion. So realistically, like in my mind, I kind of break it down with that. And I'm like, mm. oh, it's, it's all about the pounds and sterling at the end of the day. So if you're not talking that language and saying, mm. I think if I do this, then it will take, I don't know, it will take 30 seconds out of every single employee's day. Mm. And for some smaller companies, that might, that might sound like an absolutely worthless thing. But when you're working for a juggernaut that's a small country, 30 seconds per employee per week, very quickly adds up into mm. something pretty meaningful that you can do and someone goes oh that that's changed that's doing something mm. and sometimes there's no i don't know interventional product really it's like no we've just like people people were finding it hard to i don't know find a button that does something so they mm. raised a manual ticket for it well great we just we made that button bold <laughs> like <laughs> as simple as that where you're like yeah change the behavior and actually kind of say like you're in this place like hr systems as an example like 99 percent of them when you look at if someone is logging in on say the day after payday what, what like let's make a hypothesis what do you mm. think they're there to do well they're probably there to look at their payslip yeah. so why don't we make it responsive and say on that day let's make that front and center for them mm. why don't we do things um around putting going back to kind of the learning terminology it's like learning in the flow of work but why don't we do kind of business process in the flow of work as well mm. so this is a, a large conversation i'm having at the moment so hopefully so a few of my 
big suppliers are listening in on this one because they know this will be a, not a new thing of we talk about why do things well outside the learning world like time management mm. where does it happen in most corporate employees well it's going to be in some sort of corporate calendar whether that's a, a, a g suite one or a an outlook or something like that have you ever seen any of them that have a button that says book annual leave in outlook like it just doesn't exist and i'm like yeah. that that's a miss right there because that's that's putting it in the flow of their work because mm. they most people you'll find they put it in their outlook they ping it out to their team and then if they happen to remember they go back and put it in the hr technology and then we act surprised that the numbers don't add up at the end of the year like shock horror of what's happened there and it's like well actually let's bake it back let's look at the problem and its problem is it's not where people expect it to be based on their other routines and rituals mm. what what i like about this josh is you know the, with, with time I'll, I'll tie what you've just said there back to to earlier in the conversation here this is the difference between doing learning and development and people experience. You're talking there about the friction that people experience that stops them from just having their head down and doing a great job or staying focused enough to remain yeah. in flow and do a good job. You've just, you're highlighting something there, which when you think about the role of learning and development, why are we in organizations? Then surely it's to enhance that people experience to address that friction that people are experiencing as they work that, that, prevents them from doing what they're expected to do doing a good job at that and being able to improve their prospects giving you know potentially a deeper a deeper talent pool to uh it, to, it's to taking all the stuff we need them to do and making it frictionless yeah like because we bring in someone that's i don't know like i remember like i met some fast i've met some fascinating characters over my career but like especially when i was in the entertainment space you'd meet people mm. they're like so what's your background and they're like oh i'm the guy that found david bowie and i'm like well that that's Talk about career claim right there. Like that's a pretty <laughs> thing. And then we're like, but we have you signing off expenses and we have you approving yeah. time cards. And it's like, your job is to find the best talent in yeah. the world. And we just kind of put stuff in your way. Mm. Um, I mean, it takes me back to a, a story very kind of early on in my career, but it was around time card systems and things like that. Um, and I got a bit of a slap on the wrist for, making a time card entry for writing my time card and i got the kind of that's not how that works you're not meant to do it and i was like that's exactly how it works yeah. and it became like the most used line item in europe in like three weeks and i didn't tell anyone about it i just made it and so clearly people were instinctively going in and saying well i'm gonna log log the logging essentially <laughs> <laughs> oh it's nuts I, um Josh, I'd like to like just to uh, have you reflect on uh, on your journey a little bit more because um, uh, personally, having moved from finance and banking, so uh, so from credit cards to um, uh, what, what did I do? Uh, check. Uh, oh yeah, back back when checks were a thing. Check processing. Um, I spent a little bit in time in uh, subprime mortgages. Wow. Um, and then I ended up at Disney. So I can, I, you know, I, so I can say that, that, that the cultures were jarring, especially that, that, that last one from, from banking to, uh, to media. Um, I didn't know what on earth was going on and whether that was really for me, I could have left any time in my first six months at, uh, at, at Disney. So I, I'd like to know, um, how you navigated this, uh, but also second part of the question, has it had you reflect on the need for us to incorporate more culture into L&D solutions and whether you do? Yeah, I definitely think so. So 
it's an interesting one. I, w- I won't read too much into you leaving subprime mortgages around the time of financial <laughs> crisis. And it was really Lehman Brothers. Things. You could you could work it out. Let's <laughs> not go into that too much. Um, but no, like, like you said, it's it, uh, it's a fascinating journey for me. So I've been in organisations that are twenty people startups and things like that. And you can imagine, I compare kind of night. It's night and day from governance perspectives. The world that I'm existing in now, where because we're we're a, we're one of the world's biggest banks, there is a there is a way to make sure that we are assessing everything from every single angle and doing doing things like that. So so it's a really tied up operation there. But culturally, it's it's a fantastic journey to kind of experience it. And that's one of the things I I still love about the HR and the learning and development world is mm. you can be an expert in those practices. And there is a lot that lifts between industries like you and I know it. And I'm sure many of the listeners know this is like you can move into a completely like parallel universe of an industry and you'll still go. All right. I, I hear the same. I'm hearing the same <laughs> rumblings. I'm hearing the same thing. So I think there are elements of what can we embed from the culture? What do we need to foster from the culture? What do we need to promote of the f- culture? But there's also the what what can we do with this new toolkit with this new kind of layout this new equipment to address the time old questions that we are always hearing as kind of problem statements in our industry so i think a bit of both there for mm. me but it's more about that it's more about the the how rather than the what i think initially mm. okay uh, well let's go back to l and d because um uh i'm sure you'd agree there are easier ways of doing l and d if we if you just did what what your stakeholders ask you to do, <laughs> then you could share take shared accountability for the for it not working. We, we've all been there, Josh. I'd like some training. Yeah, sure. What would you like in the training, and when would you like it run? Right. So you know that yeah, we we know that ends up with people feeling good, or perhaps not so good if you if if you didn't do such a good job, but nothing really changing uh, as a result a lot of the time. But the thing is, we choose to do it harder. By changing those those well by 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 probing in those conversations and asking for training to what is it that you're that you're you're looking to address uh, what are the consequences of not you had a, a great question uh, earlier on uh, as well in those conversations that get it to uh, to performance and uh, and uh, and impact but the but it's one thing for us to do it Josh but how do you bring a team with you because in my experience. Learning and development people can be the hardest ones to shift the thinking on on how learning and development can and should be done. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And for me, I'm I'm always a I never wed myself to an approach. So mm. like we're we're in a world of a million models, and that's that's not unique to L and D. One of my old bosses and mentors uh, introduced me to the George Box model. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's mm. essentially the concept of all models are useful, useless. But some are useful sometimes. And I'm like, <laughs> the philosophy is like, never wedge yourself to a single way of doing stuff because mm. the world will change around you. Yeah. Um, like like you said, the amount of kind of stakeholders I've had in my career where they're, oh, well, I want this thing. And I'll go, okay, well, our timeline's along. They're like, oh, don't worry, I've got you. I've written it all out in a PowerPoint. All you have to do is stick navigation buttons next to it and things like that. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be the worst thing ever. <laughs> but sometimes it's about how to build that relationship and say, actually, yeah. You and I, whether it's a tricky legal stakeholder, someone in data privacy or someone in like business performance or someone out in sales in the business, you need to say, like, look, how do we win together in this? Because if mm. I've got a belief that if we launch this thing, it's not going to do what you want it to do. 
So are we just going to be back in this same square and you're going to have a new PowerPoint next year? Or can we try and be far more effective and kind of do it together and say, you know what, I think if we if we do it this way, then let's address one singular problem. Mm. I was talking to um, a good friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about how this whole sales academy concept in their organization essentially came down to kind of, there was the whole relationship building, the the softer skills or the essential skills, whatever you want to call them, that exist within that space. But then there was also a load of, this is how you kind of click through a CRM. This is how you manage the time and things like that. And it goes back to that point of, well, what are we really paying these people to do? Like, what is a salesman job? Is it to log it in a CRM, which is essentially a glorified database with a nice UX over the top? Or is it to have great, meaningful relationships and become trusted advisors and like upsell where appropriate and things like that? I think you and I both know the answer on that one. <laughs> like when you really kind of, again, bake it down to basics and say, well, what do we want these people to do? Do we want them to be better logging in the CRM or do we want them to have far greater relationships? People are like, far great relationships well like, right okay so how can we do as much stuff to get this out the way so i've seen weird and wonderful kind of solutions where like you've got things now where they're transcribing work calls and recording them automatically in notes in the crm and kind of doing a co-pilot-esque are these the actions and are these the summaries and it's like that's a really cool thing that just kind of again removes that that bloat from that person's workflow so they can say yep yeah, you know what that's like right oh no that one was against me rather than them and uh, that's a hallucination. That wasn't an action at all. That was just us talking about golf for the weekend. Like, so let's take that one out of there. Um, so it's things like that that I think are really going to move us forward. But you've got to succeed together. Mm. And if you can build a stakeholder group and sort of say, look, we're all winning because we're doing it in a way that is we're not talking about L&D metrics of success. We're talking about business metrics of success. There's no... There's no what I kind of I started referring to them as like digital bums on seats metrics. We had the old bums on seats metrics. Now it's the oh they spent this many hours and they've looked at it for this long. And I'm like, well that's just, that's it's the same stats just digitized. Yeah. <laughs> and and when when uh, uh, I had Sebastian Tyndall uh, from Vitality uh, on the podcast, he said that uh, because they um, during their their um, uh, the, the the backlog. Um, uh, exercise or you know the needs analysis part or, or the um uh what are they called the, when the stakeholder actually uh, makes the request for some help it's actually determined then what the value would actually be a lot of them will fall by the wayside it's all it's all uh fully transparent when it gets to the analysis stage they understand what the problem is to be solved yeah. and so what they then try to do is uh, spend as little time taking people away from the work as they possibly can because they already they have the success measure uh, as part of the analysis and that makes perfect sense so much of learning and development is trying to keep people learning in the absence of knowing the problems but if you knew the problems then as we've been talking about here, if, if we are truly reducing friction, then you want people as little time as possible in the solution so they can continue to do the work, uh, perform better and improve their prospects. Yeah, and it's it's hilarious. I've, I've had several chats with Sebastian about it, but it's like when you actually kind of say to a stakeholder, right, so let's bake you back. Is that, I don't know, let's say it's a 250K problem when we look at it from an efficiency and a mm. downstream ticketing like resource kind of standpoint, like, that's, that's an opportunity. Great. And then you can then go, right, what can we do against that? Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that I, I think 
a lot of traditional L&D teams do struggle with is what's their kind of opportunity cost? We all know you've got to spend money to make money sometimes. And that's a that's a concept. I think we've kind of lost being an internal cost center in most organizations. And it's like we we've got this notion of, well, if we train people, they'll be better and they'll stay longer and they'll return value to the organization. There's a kind of somewhere in the ether it adds up. And actually, for me, I'm kind of like, well, actually, no, we're doing all these programs. You've got to leverage them against opportunities. And I don't know. So it's worth having a chat with your your analytics functions, your data people, your recruitment teams and things like that, because time to competency, that's that's a number that's worth something. Internal mobility, that's something that's worth something. And for me, I see it as two sides of the same coin, where it's like we need someone that's great at cybersecurity. And there should be a conversation of, well, are we building this with internal talent or are we buying this from the market? Mm-hmm. And then essentially, if you're building it internally, you can hopefully do it for a cheaper rate than you'll get for having to go external recruitment times, external agencies, all of these sort of factors that would come into it. I mean, I'm even hearing some organizations now saying they're going to pay people for their their interviews and things like that. So like all of that is a big pool of money there. And if L&D can say, I can do it for half the price by building internally because I'm spotting the, the skills and the transferables that are close to it mm-hmm. and talking to those people and saying, hey, do you, do you fancy being, being this in the future? And kind of having those conversations and having really structured ways they can do that and consistent ways to do that. Huge fan of it. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's kind of a, you've got to almost, almost the kind of asset manager where it's like, if the opportunities, I don't know, if you say internal mobility is worth 800K in us, 800K for us a year, guess what you can't do? You can't leverage 1.5 million quids of technology offerings and roadshows mm-hmm. and this against that opportunity. Like it just, it doesn't work like the numbers don't compute at the end of the day and you're going to be identified as a cost save in a couple of years time yeah that's right and or it's going to perpetuate the the um the idea that um whilst learning and development can be idealistic it can also be naive if if you're if you're not looking at uh, uh at things like that but at least this uh, that does lead me on to uh, to my next question uh josh because a hot topic in l&d right now is skills-based learning uh, and uh, if I understand uh, correctly from uh, from our um, our first conversation, uh, HSB is, is a skills based organization or on a journey towards that. But I'd love to know what does this mean for HSBC and your L and D function? Yeah, so it's, it's it's obviously it's a massive effort for a skills based organization, and it's one of these things that I I still think it's an evolving phrase to really say, well, what does that mean? Mm. And I've seen it happen in many organizations where it's it's come out of a certain part of the organization. So it could be like performance and reward. It could be learning. It could be talent. It could be all these things. But it's it's a great concept at the end of the day. And I, I do truly believe that it is one of the things that is kind of a linchpin back to what we're doing. But but to make it holistically work, let's, let's not beat around the bush. It has to be the language of absolutely everything mm through every single kind of HRE people process around the world. Like it needs to be consistently there. And that could be everything from kind of gig-based economy roles and things like that where we're saying, actually, look, we're looking at you. We're understanding your time and your management and things like that. And that can be really easily done Mm. in very transactional kind of support roles because it's like, oh, you're a ticket's coming on, I don't know, someone's mobile's not syncing up to to it and you've got skills on outlook mobile so therefore although you're over in this queue of tickets here looking at 
don't know, desktop support, we actually know that you can be a, fl a flying resource and do things like that. So it comes back to a really a different model of ways of working, really, where it's much more kind of skill based, pod based rather than team based at the end of the day. And that's a that's a concept that I think a lot of organizations are only really coming to at the moment mm -hmm. because I think they they kind of went, oh, it's all skills based. Yeah, cool. Let's turn it on. And it was more functionality driven rather than purpose driven. And that's that's why I think a lot of organizations are coming to that realization that, oh, my God, we don't have to turn it all on tomorrow. I mean, I'm not saying you can't say you're a skills based organization or on the journey to being skills based unless you're bonusing and paying people all based on skills. But you've got to kind of have that on your vision statement that like it's got to go that far at the end of the day. And there's there's a wealth of benefits here for people. I mean. I mean, if we talk about the the utopia of what it could be, I mean, you're talking about places where people are understanding why they're being passed over for roles because they're like, oh, it's because I'm lacking in these skills that were crucial there. It's nothing about me, my characteristics, but maybe that's just me being a huge optimist there and saying that, that there's never going to be a world of not personal preference in there. But it allows us to give us that that kind of way of looking at things that are less who they are, where they're from, their background, all those kind of really important topics that our DEI colleagues focus on. Mm. We say, look, if it's skill-based, none of those characteristics are taken into account, which yeah. means it's a really crucial way of kind of talking to people. And it's a fair way of talking to people as well. Yeah. No, I, I love that, Josh. Um, I've, I've been in conversations uh, throughout my L&D career where a senior exec, maybe even an MD will say, we've got the wrong people. But what what a broad statement. But when you but when you are talking skills and what I love about um, the whole conversation about skills based learning or skills based organizations is that it is the language of leaders. When 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 they're saying we don't have the skills for or where are we going to get the skills of? And yeah. and it's and it's one that that's that that they may only be able to crudely define a skill, but they can recognize it. And it always re reminds me of uh, when we were, uh, uh, when we pivoted in L&D to helping remote workers as an offshoot, uh, offshoot of, uh, of of COVID and, uh, and, uh, and restrictions. All of a sudden, we were perfectly aligned with the biggest priority of the organization at that time, which was relocating our staff from offices to home, and then preparing managers to be able to still uh, maintain a productive workforce as a result. And we were all aligned. And I think that this is another one of those opportunities. But if we stop looking and thinking we've got a people problem rather than a skills problem, then we have an opportunity to to truly develop people. And I think that the, it's one of those that uh, that 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 we we can't look the gift horse in the mouth here we you know like uh, i'm sorry if that doesn't uh, if that doesn't translate to the international listeners let me try again <laughs> and, uh, that we have a golden opportunity whilst we whilst our uh, state senior stakeholders are talking the language of skills this is our language and so um uh, I'd, I'd love to to get your thoughts on what that takes then to not just align and say yep that's me but what do you do next, Josh? I mean, I'd, lo I'd love to know what, what your thinking is around, uh, whether that be um, mapping, assessing, and then that bridge between uh, the gap and, and development. Any Anything that you're doing or, uh, or, or you know it's working for you? Yeah, so I, I think there's a few there's a few things and some of them we're doing, some of them we're not because it's too conceptual. Maybe we're just too large an organisation to do mm. these sort of things. But um, I mean, first bit of advice I'd always say to, to anyone is, if you're if you're in any company and you're not reading 
like your end of year board paper or your your annual report or anything like that, you are absolutely missing a trick because mm-hmm. that is your boss's boss's boss in some cases saying, this is what we're going to try and do. Like that's going to be what, what we're what we're measured on externally, which sometimes is the most important measure to the organization of like, what's our stock worth? What's the company worth? Like, do people have faith in doing what we're doing? But it comes down to like, how do, how can you break that down without it kind of getting lost in translation as it comes down to become something so soft and so so meaningless behind the scenes? Um, and you're, you're exactly right. This is the golden opportunity. Like people are talking about skills and it's it's a weird bit like going back to my language of the table earlier. It's like mm. our our slang has suddenly been adopted by elements of the table, and we're like, oh my god, they're 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 using our words now. What do we what do we do? We we need to make sure that we're approaching it in the right way of saying, yeah, we understand that. But let's let's look at what the organisation is today. Like mm. if you really want to be, I don't know. I remember a few years ago there was a bank, not not our bank, and before I was in the banking industry, it was we want to be the best bank for cybersecurity around the world. So a very noble cause, a very beneficial cause. You can see very clearly from the customer perspective, there's a big bang, they care about cybersecurity. That's what they talk about day in, day out. Yeah, that's a safe, like it's essentially like a bank back in the Western times saying we're going to be the best safe makers in the world. It's like, mm. that's the modern version of it. And for me, it's kind of a, well, what, like how do we actually kind of look at that? How do we bake it back? How do we then say, right, where are we today? And this is where, a lot of learning or talent technology stacks are kind of perfectly placed in that bit because mm. like we could get told by our C-suite tomorrow, we want to be the best generative AI place in the world. We've got the roots to say to people, how comfortable do you feel about generative AI right now, whether that's assessment tools, polling tools, skill rating tools, like these are all within most of our grasps all around the world. Even if it's just, a quick and dirty survey monkey or Google form or Microsoft form or something like that. Like mm. you have, you will probably have something in your organization. It could even be a big, big old meaty Excel spreadsheet at the end of the day. But like I try and steer off them nowadays, but <laughs> like sometimes they've got a, a huge purpose. And then you can kind of say, right, let's step back. And uh, some people say, right, well, this is then what we've got. I always say, well, you've got to have that element of skepticism. Mm. Like you're going to have someone saying, you know what, when it comes to generative AI, I'm an eight out of 10. I'll be honest with you, I think even the cutting edge Silicon Valley people are likely not an 8 out of 10 at the moment yeah. because it's, with that particular skill, it's evolving, mm. not even daily, probably like hourly, if not yeah. like minutely at the moment, where like there's new concepts, there's new connections, there's new this, there's new that. So for me, it's like 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, like that, that, that sort of ranking and ratings that exist that we would see our individual people, like someone on a... I don't know, a, a shop floor or a retail banking space would say, oh yeah, I'm a I'm an eight out of ten on that because I get the concepts and I've I've watched some YouTube videos and things like that. And for me, that first challenge is being really skeptical with that data. So you've got the mechanism to get the data. Next thing I'm saying, which is maybe a bit counterintuitive, is don't trust that data. Mm. Um, because what you then need to do is almost kind of tip it on its head and say, actually, if there are people saying that, how do you verify that? So yeah. verified skills, I think, is going to be a huge wave in our industry of actually if we're able to predict and observe and watch people do stuff, how can these skills be verified independently mm. in the organization? But then it takes us from a from a face that actually skill movement is something that I think talent can talk, start talking about a lot more. Mm. But I don't think it's just skill progression. 
because for me, if someone is is saying I'm a I'm a I'm a nine out of ten in generative AI, and we do something to like help them get the concepts or one hundred and one course type thing, mm. and then they re rank themselves a three, for me that is that going back to that old school model of like the knowing unknowing to yeah. the known known. They're like they've realised like I don't have anywhere near a handle on this on what I th- and what I think I do. And I, a 10 out of 10, let's be honest, it, it shouldn't really exist. Mm. Like, unless it's something that just doesn't change, doesn't move, doesn't do anything. It's like a 10 out of 10 shouldn't really exist in any organization. And if it does, mm. they probably shouldn't be in my organization. They shouldn't be in your organization. They should probably be talking a kind of government, UN setting policies for the <laughs> whole world type thing because they're an absolute expert on the field. They're pumping out books left, right and center. They're on roadshows to just speak about this thing that they know they shouldn't be in in our organisations. They shouldn't be under our LSD influence. <laughs> or if they if they are, then we need to point the camera at them very quickly. <laughs> um, I, I love what you're saying there, Josh. And what what I'm uh, hearing as well is that uh, that um, whilst um, we we want to make sure that we're being as robust as we can with assessment, um, not just self assessment, but but clearly peer assessment and some kind of objectivity. Um, what we don't need here is perfection. But the way the way I see this, what we need to be doing is giving hiring managers a really hard decision to make. If they were thinking of going external because they didn't think the skills existed here, what is it that we can do in order to, to change their minds? It's just about influencing the talent acquisition team and the um uh, and the hiring managers. And if we can do that and we know and we move it in the right direction, first of all, perhaps with uh, with candidates, then with uh, with bloody good candidates and then with with actual hires those are steps in the right direction so i'm a bit i'm a big fan of uh of of incremental gain because you know you're moving in the right direction doing enough of the right stuff rather than a massive hit and hope spend and launch and you know uh what, what's, what's that lovely phrase launch it and leave uh, yeah. like when it comes to other like systems and processes it's, it's the field of dreams approach of build it and they'll come it's like <laughs> It doesn't happen. We're not Kevin Costner and we're not playing baseball anymore. It's like, um, but for me, it's a really interesting piece. And like, I'm seeing it happen. Well, I'm seeing I'm seeing the, the infrastructure, the groundwork starting to happen. So like, it's not a rare thing to see a acquisition and a learning team coming together on some, some sort of like talent umbrella nowadays. Yeah. And that for me is hugely exciting. Because if we think about the the recruitment or the onboarding process, and if we were to kind of flow chart it out, Nine times out of ten, it will start with like a manager raises a rec or recruiters meet with the manager to raise a rec or something. Mm. For me, like those two teams coming together and forming that that union leads us to that conversation before that I mentioned earlier of the, mm. the build buy. You need this. Are we going to help you build or buy it? Yeah. So what we could almost act as a bit of an internal agency and be like, hey, irregardless if we find something internally or externally for you, this is what it's worth to mm. us. So we're able to wooden dollar that over into our budget and have a fantastic Christmas do at the end of the year type thing. And for me, that's the, that's the real kind of origin of the journey Mm. that combining those two functions really leads to, whether it's a formal combination or whether it's just a very, very deep partnership where you have interconnected goals and things like that. It's like that for me is where it's really going to make some magic happen inside of organizations. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and going back to what you said earlier about uh, about what 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 you deemed 
uh, were the successful traits or the, the ones that led you to where you are. And you said about relationships there, and uh, as well as you know talent acquisition. I remember at Disney, I had a close relationship with the uh, with uh, director of workforce planning. You know, so so you're coming at it from uh, from all angles there, and you know you develop those strong relationships. They may not be fruitful and profitable at the outset, but that's not the reason that you actually develop them in the first place. You do that because it's the right thing to do. I think it was Patrick Lencioni talked about. Um, uh, investing in your number one team, which is uh, which is everybody reports into your boss, like or you know, or, or people to the side of you, because you know I don't want to be corny, but that's where the magic happens. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like where before before you rely on those people, but uh, whether whether it's interconnected goals as you've said there, or or just uh, strong informal alliances uh, before before the need there. But I'd love to ask, um, you know, is, is there anything else that uh, that that you see are important factors? Uh, when it comes to L&D leadership today, we've talked about the relationships. For me, I'd say that organizational savvy was a was a massive one, managing a profile, making sure that I owned that profile, that I knew exactly what I wanted to be known for. I lived those values and I got the right stuff done. You know, all of that stuff, you, you create that buzz around you and you operate with integrity without being um, over political on one side or naive on the other. It's a bloody strong skill set i'd say that that uh that, that served me well but i'd love to know uh what you think are some of the other important factors in lnd leadership today josh yeah i mean one of the things i mentioned earlier is kind of don't fall in love with your own thing it may sound mm. really unromantic for me and things like my wife's probably gonna watch this back and be like oh it's him talking about this again but like <laughs> i've spent months building something that i think is going to absolutely like crack the code it's going to nail it and i've put it out and i've looked at the measures that i put in place and gone ah like They've gone down or they've they've not budged anywhere and i don't think it's enough to say that this is the thing causing it it's like yeah. retire it take it out like i know it's your your thing and you love it but like you can't sell your soul to something you can't say like i don't know i'm maybe maybe a bit targeted or something but like i've met many people in my career where they're like oh uh psychometric testing will solve everything because it's it's a way that they can crack through the professional facades and they'll know each other on a much deeper level and i'm like May, that might be a tool and that might be very effective in certain scenarios, but you can't be a one trick pony. You have to have a whole arsenal of things. Mm. And that's kind of leading back to what I mentioned earlier. It's like people experience for me is learning is one. It's one kind of arrow in my, my Hawkeye quiver of like grenades and bombs and shrinking things and stuff like that. Like it's one thing that we can choose to deploy. And all you've got to do is say, Actually, yeah, you know what? That is a problem, and I've sized the problem. So it is the biggest opportunity for us. Let's try and do some things. And going back to the kind of the 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 buzzwords of pre AI days of everything's got to be agile. It's like make something quick and dirty. Yeah. Don't think that you need to have a learning specific thing to do it. Like you you will have far more than you think in house. Whether that's like mm. Power Automate stuff through Microsoft or like all these things like someone will have these tools that you can make a, a quick and dirty thing. Or like I said, make an Excel spreadsheet. Like you can do things the way you can get them in users' hands quickly. You can test your hypothesis and go, is this the right thing? And if it's not, get it out. Yeah. Do yourself a service. Don't don't kind of tie yourself to a sinking ship. Like that's the biggest piece of advice I think I can give. It's like just don't fall in love with your solution. 
No, I love I, I love that. And the uh, and the, I suppose the precursor to that, Josh, is solve real problems. If you've done the analysis, then then you're you're an, an enormous way towards the uh, the solution. But without the analysis, unfortunately, everything looks like a solution. And I think there have been some bad bad uh, products and uh, and program implementations as a uh, as a result of that. I mean, I, I do love still going around some of our trade shows and things like that, and they'll be like, you've got a problem with this. And I'm like, you've got, you've got vendors telling you what your problem is. And you see you see so many leaders still trying to reverse that into the business of going, oh, well, I've been told this is a problem, so it must exist. And I'm like, yeah. do your internal analysis. Ask, like, if, you, if it's a you've got a churn rate problem, you know what you can do? Read your exit survey data. Yeah. Because you might be thinking, oh, well, if we just deploy this internal marketplace or this this new thing and like you might then scour through oh why why are we losing i don't know young female leaders and i don't know look at your exit survey data you never know there might be something in there where you look through and you go oh it's because they all say we've got a terrible maternity policy and that's what they're thinking about at that stage of their career and you go well damn that again back to the quiver there's no learning intervention needed there at all there's a we've got to figure out our parental leave policy piece Mm -hmm. we've got to think about how we're talking about parental leave we've got to think about how we're celebrating parental leave and also more importantly how it's not a it's not a mother's it's not a female thing it's not a female problem it's a everyone problem so how can we address that so we're only losing female talent due to the parental leave policy maybe we've got something a bit out of skew there that's probably causing that imbalance at the, the right origin no no i love that and uh and of course the opposite of that josh is um uh is um uh, acting off of the uh, the tech vendors free report that tells you exactly where the skills gaps are because coincidentally they've got uh, a load of content in their platform that you could buy at a, uh, a cut price today i oh, know wait for black friday and they'll be like here it is <laughs> we can't leave it on a cynical note josh so uh, my final question to you uh, is uh, what advice would you give the listener who wants to be successful in lnd today what's that what's the golden nugget if you can't describe what you're doing to a toddler without them looking at you confused, don't do it. Like that, like bake it down, keep it super simple. Like at the end of the day, yes, you're going to have all your complications. You're going to be applying all your theories in the background, but just bake it down. Like no, no one really likes someone being like, well, I'm applying this theory here and this just kind of keep it simple, keep it clean, keep it nice. Like that's the biggest thing for me at the end of the day. I love it. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Josh. That's the end of our conversations. All that's left for me to say is, Josh, thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Josh has clearly built a very successful career with his laser-like focus on making planned and demonstrable impact and bringing his organisation and stakeholders with him. There's so much he shared that should provide inspiration as well as a path that others can follow and I'm sure you found it as enlightening and inspiring as I did. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality LD chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the LD Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and thousands of LD peers via the link to the LD Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn. Again, you'll find links in the show notes. And goodbye for now.